Hi, it's George. I wanted to tell you that today's episode is being brought to you by Legacy Insurance. Visit them for all your home, auto, farm, commercial, and other insurance needs. You can visit them at LegacyInsuranceAR.com or you can find them on Facebook. If you prefer, you can call them at 870-935-7554. And remember, it's more than insurance, it's your legacy. And now the show. Warning, the following story is graphic and violent in nature. Listener discretion is advised. John Graves left his home to check on a hunting lodge that he ran in Missouri. He had been gone for a while and his wife, Laura, became concerned that he hadn't returned. She asked a friend of his, Michael Ramsell, to go out and check to see if he could find John. When he arrived at the hunting lodge, he found John's vehicle and the back window had been blown out. Soon after, he found John Graves, who had been shot in the head. No one knows why John was shot and killed on that New Year's New Year's Day in 1990. I'm George Jarrett, and this is Diamond State Murder Board. Randy from Legacy Insurance Group. When you call, I'm the one who picks up the phone. Yes, an actual human who runs on countless cups of coffee a day. Legacy is committed to personal service, so when something does go wrong, we are just a call or text away. We also promise not to ghost you or leave you on read when you think you need to file a claim. One of our main goals at Legacy is to never leave you, the customer, disappointed when it comes to policies that cover you. Go to LegacyInsuranceAR.com, find us on Facebook, or even slide into InstaDMs to request a quote and receive a free Shadrax coffee on us. Make sure to always swipe right on Legacy to protect you and yours. Welcome back. I'm your host, George Jarrett, and this is Diamond State Murder Board. I'm joined in studio today with our co-host and producer, Andrew Brown. We also have a special guest today, Kendra graves Rains. Uh, Kendra is a longtime teacher. She lives uh, near the town of Horseshoe Bend or in the town of Horseshoe Bend in uh, Arkansas. And we're going to talk about her uh, her dad's case, uh, the case of John Graves, which you guys heard in our intro just a minute ago. Andrew, uh, can you tell our listeners how they can reach us? Absolutely, George. Um, we are still on Facebook and Instagram at Diamond State MB. You can um, check with us there for any kind of upcoming episodes, visual aids, and uh, promotions, anything like that. And then if you have any information regarding any of the cases we speak about, or if you have to, if you want to speak directly to us um you can go to diamondstatemb at gmail.com and send us information that way excellent and i also would like to remind our listeners today that uh, we are brought to you by legacy and insurance and remember it's not just your life it's your legacy and we always like to um, thank them for their sponsorship of this program and many others that they have sponsored they're a bunch of great people go visit tyler and courtney and their crew they'll take care of all your insurance needs and so um, we have a special guest today. It's Kendra Graves Rains. And Kendra's father, John Graves, um, was brutally murdered on New Year's Day in 1990 in Mound. Is it, Kendra's at Mound City, Missouri? 
Mound City, Missouri, yes. Mound City, Missouri. And so, Kendra, can you kind of tell, where is Mound City, Missouri? Let's start with that. Um, it's up in the very northwest corner. It's a little bit above St. Joseph, Missouri, which is a, um, north of Kansas City. Gotcha. And so let, let's let's kind of get the family dynamic down. So it was you, your mom and dad, and do you have a younger sister? I have a younger sister, yes. Okay. And so how long had you guys lived in Mound City? Um, as far back as, let's see, for more than... I have to think of how old I was. Um, I was just, as long as I can remember. I mean, I, I know we lived in St. Joseph for a while, but I don't, I was so young, I don't remember that. So all I remember is living in Mound City. Gotcha. So you guys were Show Me State. You guys were citizens of the Show Me State. You were born there. Yes. Gotcha. And so uh, kind of tell me about the family dynamic. What did your mom and dad do for a living? And just kind of tell me about your childhood a little bit. Um, my dad, he was a mechanic. Um, before that, I know he was, uh, he was, um, a police officer, of course, in his past. He was our national guard. We did that on the weekends cause he did the, uh, well, on the weekend duty. He did at St. Joseph. So, um, he was a mechanic. He did a little bit of everything. Um, I know he, uh, I'm trying to think here at that point in time what all he did. I know he sold cars for a while, um, worked on cars. Um, it's kind of hard to sit here and think of what all he did. But um, I think at that time he was mainly working at a car shop across the, the road that he had. And then um, what got him into this and, and the job that he went on that night or went to check on is he took care of a hunting resort in just outside of Big Low which was maybe 10 miles out of town, if even that, um, that was owned by a car dealer in Kansas City. And so it was a hunting resort, and my dad's job was to uh, take care of the lodge that was there, um, upkeep on the grounds, just pretty much book all the lodging and the duck hunting and the blinds and everything like that. And so kind of describe your relationship with your dad. What were some things that you liked about him? And, you know, listen, we all have parents. Uh, there's things we like and dislike about him, you know. Mm-hmm. But kind of tell us about your, your, your relationship with oh, your dad. Oh, no, yeah. He was, he was a great dad. We were pretty close. So um, mom worked out of town a lot. Just I think at the point in time um, she was going to college. She had worked um, for a paralegal. So she was gone a lot. But dad was always around. So, you know, we that was pretty much our... You know, mom was a rock, but dad was there and he was a rock too. So we, we were pretty good. We got along really good. They got along really well. It was, it was really great growing up there. So what were some things that you and your dad liked to do together? Oh, well, that's one thing. We go out there to the hunting resort. I wasn't much of a hunter like my sister was. She liked the duck hunting. So, you know, that was kind of her and dad's thing. Um, I would usually go to my grandparents. I spent a lot of time at their house. So, um, we do have a lot of pictures of her all dressed up, the duck hunting gear. You won't find many. I don't think there's any of me in the duck hunting gear, but that's okay. Um, we just kind of ran around, and a lot of times we went with him on his jobs just to have something to do and to get out of the house. So, um, what was your what what things was your dad into? Like, what kind of a guy was he? I, I, I obviously he was into cars for sure. What oh, the- big time cars, yeah. Because even at one point in time, he was a uh, he fixed up his own cars and raced them. And I've got a bunch of pictures of those and trophies here at the house and just a little bit of everything. Um, 
big family guy. He had a big family and we spent a lot of time when in St. Joseph with his, his mom and dad and well, my grandparents and aunts and uncles and stuff like that. So, um, just out of town, we had a, on big Lake that's out of town there, we had a big family house that we'd all get together at and go meet up and have family time. And, um, just, we did a lot of stuff together. Gotcha. So, um, take us now. So when, when your when your father was murdered, you were 13, right? Yes. Okay. So he, it's, it's New Year's Eve night and he goes out to the lodge, um, just to, to check on the hunting lodge, probably just do just a, like a security check, something like that. Make sure. Nothing... Well, the alarm had went off and oh, okay. it was protocol for them to call my dad because um, several times it had been a false alarm, and I think the sheriff's office really didn't want to go out and check it because it was a waste of their time. So they would call him and have him go check the alarm. Gotcha. So do you remember him leaving? Yes. I remember him leaving because um, I wanted to go with him. We had just got a Nintendo for Christmas that we were all just you know, biting at the bit to try to play. It was my turn. It was somebody else's turn and it was my turn and I didn't want to leave. Um, so I kept telling my dad to wait and I got my coat on and went outside and he was pulling out of the driveway already and didn't hear me yelling at him. Oh, that's a, I mean, and it, so there were several times my sister and I, or the whole family went, I mean, there's times we've all went out there with them to check an alarm. So, um, you know, it could have, could have been that night, but it wasn't. Wow. Uh, speaking about fighting over Nintendo, Andrew's a little younger than us, but I remember uh, that that stuff very vividly. Was, when that thing came out, it was like, you know, we had transported to like a thousand years in the future compared to what we had been playing with before. Oh, so. yeah. We didn't want to go Nintendo. anywhere, though. I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so your dad leaves that night and he goes out to check. Well, then he obviously didn't come home. Is that and no. kind of no. take us through that? Um, and I don't really, I mean, I remember quite a bit as in, I knew something was wrong. Um, we had, I remember mom getting a phone call and I'm just, you know, hearing that and trying not to listen to it. I still play Nintendo. So, um, but then she had came in and told us, you know, that they couldn't find him and that we were going to go down to the neighbor's house, which was, uh, Mr. McCormick, I think it was, and he was the banker there in town. Mm-hmm. So him and his wife, um, took us in and, you know, let us stay there with them and, um, I know we were at the house. We were making cookies that night for New Year's and getting ready, you know, to just, you know, have a good night. And we usually stay up and do it, maybe a little fireworks and, you know, just hang out. So that was our plan. Um, But, and I know mom took us down to the neighbor's house and we stayed there. And I I just, you know, you know, there's something wrong when, you know, you're trying to listen to adults talk and try to figure out what's going on. But, uh, of course, I was trying to, you know, keep my sister entertained and, you know, make sure she was okay and just try not to worry too much that everything was going to be okay. Cause this just, just didn't happen to stuff. You know, this is nothing I would have even thought at that point would have been what happened. So, um, so you're that night, you already know that night that he's missing. When was your father found? Um, from the reports that I see, and it seemed like it was after midnight until I found out. So, I remember somebody coming to the house and talking to my mom or uh, going outside. Now, I wasn't there. I was at the neighbor's house. But I remember all of them coming down to the neighbor's house and getting us kids and telling us what happened. So, oh, wow. and then taking us back home. So, you, you, 
it's after midnight. You find out that your father's been shot. Was he pronounced dead at the scene? You know, I really don't. I'm not really sure on that. Um, I'm, I'm assuming he was um, in the state that they found him in. Uh, from what I've read from the reports, and I also had the autopsy report that I've read um, over. But from what I can tell, yeah. And um, and just so we're clear, your father was shot in the head how many times? He was shot in the cheek, and I, I believe it was just once. Just once. Mm-hmm. In the cheek, it, it pointed up, so... Um, I guess you have the autopsy report. So is there any indication that he was facing his attacker when the shot came? It didn't really say. I mean, there, I didn't see a whole lot of that in there. Um, nothing really struck me as odd. The only thing in it that really did strike me odd was um, they had noted in there that there were a bunch of words written on his hand that they couldn't make out. And on the sheet of paper, you know, it kind of details what the letters were but he was a mechanic too and i know he wrote on his hand a lot so i don't know if there's anything into that um it was never questioned i don't know if it has ever looked at it to try to figure it out um so i don't know that that kind of that kind of stuck in my head for a while on you know what what did he try to write something on his hand or as he was being chased because i know um from the reports that i read later too that said that there were bullet holes in the back of his vehicle and in his back. So they were shooting him as they were chasing him, you know, as he left. But I'm sure we can get into that a little bit more later too. So. Right. And so um, just so we're clear about what happened. So he was found at the lodge. Um, he, how far away from his vehicle was he found? He wasn't found at the lodge. He was found in. Okay. So there's the lodge and then um, the lodge is, on a road just outside of the hunting resort, which was like a big area and you had to go through a gate to get to it. Um, and from what I was told, he left the lodge once he saw that some, well, okay. He called into the sheriff's office cause that's when they called mom and said, okay, John has called in and said, it looks like somebody tried to break in. Um, we're going to send somebody out there, you know, to find out what's going on. We try to call him back. He won't answer. Well, then I guess they got out there and they couldn't find him and they could see where somebody had tried to cut. It looked like with a saw through the door, which they said my dad's vehicle was not there and he was nowhere to be found at the lodge. So I guess they got to going down the road and the road that goes into the hunting resort area, there is a gate and it looked like he drove through the gate um, and went on down. And if you keep going straight down through there, there's, um, from what I remember, there's a railroad track that you have to go over. And it looks like they said he went over the railroad track and had, there had been some snow previously that hadn't completely all melted away. And it, from what I was told, it looked like he got his vehicle stuck, um, in that snow bank and then got out and ran. And that's when they caught up with him and shot him. Oh, and I want to say, they said not even, um, I think it said not even a half a football field or a football field away from his vehicle is where they found his body. Wow. So you're, you're I guess the operating assumption for your family is, is that your dad was trying to get, flee whoever these people were that were breaking into this place. I believe so. Yeah. And then he got caught on that, that little bit of a snow bank and his vehicle got stuck. And then he got out and literally took off running because, um, yes. okay. So you find out that your father's been shot. Obviously, 
Um, did they, did the police assume that it was a, uh, did they open a homicide investigation almost immediately? And what I mean by that is, um, this wasn't a case of like, like maybe a stray bullet. I mean, it is a hunting lodge. Obviously people hunt, you know, we, we all live in a hunting culture here in the South. Right. I mean, stray bullets are a thing. Um, it, it can't happen. So, or, or an accidental shooting or any, I mean, were any of those, uh, possibilities where they ever met it? I don't, I don't think so. I mean, it was pretty much shut down at that point in time, even the lodge. Um, and I remember this too, cause I had, I remember the signs and everything. Dad had some signs in his vehicle. They had cleared everything out of the lodge. There was nothing in there of value to take. So I don't know what the person that was trying to break in was trying to get. Um, every year, you know, they'll put the stuff there, but since it's so secluded, um, Mr. Cheesick, which was the owner of the lodge, he, would have dad clean anything, you know, a value out of that house and take it out. So there was nothing in there at that point in time for anybody to want to take. So, which makes you wonder, you know, why somebody was even there doing that. But dad had the signs, what I was told and kind of can remember too, that he had the signs in his vehicle that he was supposed to put on the door that, Hey, everything's been taken out of here. There's nothing in here. And he just hadn't put those up yet um, because they had recently cleaned some stuff out of it. So, and I don't remember I mean, at this point in time that they had, I mean, he hadn't been out there with clients or anything. So I don't know, which I don't know why that would have been December, January, but I just don't remember anybody booking anything or him being out there working with anybody that were, were hunting at that time. And the gate was locked. So, um, when your father went on these types of patrols, when an alarm went off, did he bring any kind of form of weapon or any kind of safety precautions or was it more or less so false that he kind of went without it? It was more, it was always false. I mean, always this is the one time that it wasn't, but I don't recall him taking anything. But, you know, it seems like, you know, back then everybody had a gun in the vehicle. Um, It seems like I remember him, you know, going places with a gun in the vehicle, but for some reason, I don't know why this night he didn't have one. Okay. Wow. So, uh, so they find your dad. You guys, obviously, you, you have a funeral. They start the investigation. What were some things that the police told you guys as far as their theories as to what might have happened to your dad? From what I recall and even talking to my mom, pretty much nothing. I mean, I know some of the first articles that came out in the paper that I have that I've read over, um, NOMIS, which is the North Missouri Investigation Squad, had apparently um, asked uh, Hazlett, which was the sheriff at that time, if they could come in and help investigate and they were turned down. Um, but I do know later when Hazlett was interviewed that, you know, he had mentioned that he did get some outside help. I, I don't know what that help was, even though at that point in time in that interview, he also said he didn't remember much of the case. Um, and Kendra, and that, that's her, the sheriff at the time, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, not remembering much of the case is one thing, but, you know, not asking for help. And then, pretty much saying in this interview that they did with him that he he felt he had it under control, but then later on he also admitted that he had no leads. So um, I don't know. There's just so much back and forth on that. Yeah. I, I mean, and, you know, not to make light of it in any way, but if you have it under control, then why hasn't somebody been arrested after 30 right. year, plus years? Right. Um, that doesn't make any sense at all. And so- also going into, you know, like like you went into my dad's friend Mike, Ramsell that uh, that was out there looking for his body that night. There were so many people out there looking that any chance and any tracks and any footprints of any type whatsoever 
were totally compromised by everybody being out there. Because what I've been told is there was a lot of people out there just, you know, messing up any kind of evidence that would have possibly been out there. And that shouldn't have, that shouldn't have happened. So, um, Kendra, have, have you or your sister, or your mother, have you guys, uh, has the, uh, like the police, like the, uh, investigative file, has that been made available to you guys? No. Really? Nope. After 30 years? Nope. I know at one point when my grandmother was still alive, she, she's the one who got the autopsy report for me. Um, I know she tried to get some other stuff and they just told her that it, it couldn't be released. So you know, I'm not familiar with Missouri's uh, cold case uh, laws. I know in the state of Arkansas, if you have a cold case like that, they can they can hur- hold on to the case into perpetuity, which I think is a mistake. I mean, I think after so many years, a family has a right to know um, what type of investigation was um, put together um, as far as it concerns one of their loved ones. So y- y- you're uh, obviously you're 13 years old when this happens. You know, you spend the next several years, you don't have a father. And so did you guys move away from there? We did, yeah. And you moved to Horseshoe Bend. What 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 compelled you guys to move there? Well, we moved to Brockwell to start with. Um, Mom just wanted away from there, and I knew she did. Um, she remarried, so that is something um, we kind of just came to this area. And I, it, was, it was about six months after my dad's passing, so... Um, and honestly, I kind of wanted away from there too. We we lived in fear after that, um, and that's been something that's been hard for me to deal with, even as an adult. So, right. <laughs> you know, uh, windows open, who's outside watching me, stuff like that. Because I know, you know, we were pretty open, daylight, you know, house type of people before that. And after that happened, we kept every window closed. We kind of stayed to ourselves. So, I mean, I know mom was taking precautions, but I mean, it it did a lot on us kids too you know, kind of keep us. Um, so moving did help, you know, thinking, okay, we're not in this town anymore. We're not, we're not where all this is going on. If the person is still here, we're not here to see them. They're not here to see us. So, um, it was kind of nice to get away. It really was. Now you mentioned that your father was a, he was a former police officer. Uh, he was a mechanic. He had, um, was obviously taking care of this lodge, did were you aware of any potential enemies that he might have had or any entanglements that might have precipitated this? Um, you know, not that I really can remember. Um, you know, other than things that I've heard and I don't know the truth to them. So, but I mean, just from what I know and from what I've been just told, you know, people that talk to me about my dad, I. Even everybody said, you know, he didn't have any enemies. I can't think of anybody. You know, he always did everybody good. He was a well-known person, good guy. Um, you know, everybody really liked him. He didn't do anybody wrong. So we I don't ever remember any dealings with anybody that would have been an issue. Gotcha. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, it's it's a bizarre case. I mean, if it, because, and I'll tell you what's bizarre to me, and we're going to ask you about your your theory here or theories here in a few minutes about what you think happened or what could have happened. But, you know, just just from the onset, if he didn't have any um, entanglements or an enemy or like, a you know, business dealing that may have went south. I mean, that's normally when something like this happens to a guy like your dad, that's the typical thing. Or it's just happenstance that he just happens to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. <clears throat> 
But typically right. those guys, you know, normally when they do something like that, you, you know, it doesn't take very long for them to fess up to someone else what happened. And then right. the story gets back to the police. So uh, let's go back. Let's t- dive into that just for a second. What have the police told you through these 30 years about this case? Absolutely nothing. Really? Mm-mm. Yep. Why do you think that they haven't told you anything? Uh, that's a good question. Um, and I know, I know there was another murder case up there and, you know, we have a lot of family still up there and anytime a new sheriff is going to be elected, you know, a lot of my family will go to him and say, okay, um, there've been two murders up here. What, what are you planning to do? You know, and there's, you know, how, oh yeah, we're really going to look into it. Um, and then it just kind of stops there. So I'm, you know, I've, I put my number out there. I've gotten hold of people. My grandmother had gotten a hold of people and said, Hey, we want to talk, you know, but it just kind of stops there. And I'm not sure if it's, so much on our part that it's, you know, this, this still goes back to the sheriff's department. So I think a lot was messed up there. So, um, or the sheriff at the time, should I say? So it it just kind of makes you wonder why, why it hasn't been brought back up and why, why it hasn't been back out there. Even with the interviews I've done and the newspaper articles we put up there, you know, nobody's ever reached out to me in that area and said, Hey, could we sit and talk about it? So Or can I tell you what I know and we can kind of, you know, we're looking into this or anything like that at all. So that's kind of disheartening. Absolutely. Um, That is very disheartening. Uh, So have you ever been interviewed by the police? No. Wow. Nope. And uh, I'm sure your mother had to have been interviewed, correct? Uh, Yeah, I'm sure she was like right after, but I don't think anybody's ever reached out to her after that. So... What, what was your mother like the, the few months or the few weeks in the months after, after all of this? Was it, I mean, was she consoling you more? Were you having to console her more? What was kind of her, her, the, her theory and her, her mindset? Um, right? I think it was a little bit of both. Um, I think we, we all kind of just kind of consoled each other. Um, I know, she, you know, I can see her side of it too. You're, you're now a mother with, you know, you're raising two girls on your own. What do I do and how do I fix this? So um, how do I, you know, provide the best possible life I can for my kids? And I can see the worry in her. And I mean, she would tell us a lot too, that she was scared and worried and didn't know what to do and how to progress with this. And, you know, the best thing for us, Um, which was hard also because um, my grandparents that I was very close to were her mom and dad. And we just up and moved in the middle of the night. So because she knew that they would not approve of it, um, that was hard. That was hard on me. So just because we were so close. So I kind of had questions about that. You know, I don't know if she made the right decision moving us away, um, you know, but that's neither here nor there. It's she did the best she could, I do believe. So, Kendra, what are some theories that you have as to what happened to your dad I know that you've got you've probably had to put some thought into it I know that's extremely difficult um, to come up with a theory especially when the police won't tell you anything so what are some theories that your family's had or postulated through the years well um, one of the theories and this goes into another thing my parents did own about five rental houses um, without going into a whole lot Um, I know 
And this is also what I've been told and remember from my mom and my dad talking about stuff that we did have a renter at one point in time that my parents had to evict out of a house. And um, he was related to some people in the police department. So I don't know, you know, that's a theory. That's that name's been brought up. And I'm going to be honest with you, that person's name, when people call me to tell me who they believe did this, um, that name's been brought up a lot. So um, that's, yeah. When we get off air, I'll have you give me that name and I'll start running some traps on that just to see if there's anything um, like criminal records, stuff like that. And then another person that's called me has told me that we really, he, they've asked me if we've really looked into um, the guy that owned the lodge. Um, I believe he has since passed away, but they said, you know, some of the people that worked for him and some stuff that was uh, known about him later in life, um, he wasn't the best person to probably be working for. And some people have mentioned, you know, that, that we might want to look into some of his dealings and um, associates. So those, those are the two main things. Um, and I'm going to be honest with you, since all this started, um, that's been kind of part of our concern. So when, you know, years go by and you're thinking this in your head and then people start to call you and tell you names and they're the same names that you've known all along, that's kind of, you know, it kind of really, it, it's hard to resonate Um where that's going, you know, and how you feel about that. So, yeah, I mean, and again, without having any information, it's hard to speculate, but we, you know, you can speculate on the known, the fact of the matter is, is that it's 31 years since your father um, was murdered and there seems to be no investigation into it at all, because this is the thing about investigations. If they were actively investigating it, whenever they would come across a lead or something that they thought was promising, they're going to tell the public to a degree, even in cases where they're trying to keep everything tight lipped, they still talk about it. And, you know, like you said, you've gone to the newspapers and talked to and done interviews and things Mm -hmm. like that. Yep. But how much of those, and I, I, I read through several of them, but there was almost nothing from the police. It's like they have, it's almost, I, I hate to say this, it's almost like they don't even care. I mean, do you yep, get that I sense? I feel that way. Absolutely. Absolutely. And why do they not care? Is it because it is? They. I mean, I don't know. Are they looking into it and thinking, whoa, we don't want to touch this because this might come back? You know, I don't know. I don't know. It's just so much was done at the wrong from the sheriff at that point in time. It's. I still go back to that. What's, what was he covering up? What did he know? Um. He knows, in, even in the interviews with him, he's like, I know I should have done better. I know people don't like me, and I know I'm not going to get reelected. And, you know, I did what I did, and th- that's that. So, and, you know, that's just not the way you conduct yourself on a murder investigation that people are looking at you thinking, what are you going to do? Yeah, that is very, you used the word before, disheartening. I don't, I think that they may need, may, we may need to come up with a stronger word. That is, that is an abdication of responsibility on the highest level. I can't even believe that. Um, so you, you, you have a couple of theories that maybe it was someone connected loosely to the guy who um, owned the lodge who is now deceased or possibly a disgruntled former renter. Um, have there ever been any other theories that have popped up or any other scenarios? Um, uh, not that I know of, not that I can recall. 
how often do you now that it's been, you know, 30, well, 31 years, I guess now, um, do you revisit it? Is it something you, that pops into your mind at least once a day? Is it something that you try to, to regret or digress? Or is it something that you still just are openly kind of researching and hoping something pops up? Oh, I, I, I go a lot into it and, um, it's hard not to, and it's, I think about it every single day. So, you know, and that's, I've thought about this over and over again, you know, they say forgiveness is one of the best things you can do, but you know, in this case, I'm in a circle. I mean, do you forgive the person who did it? Do you start to try to forgive the sheriff's department? Do you forgive the people who know something that are not talking? I mean, where do you start? Yeah, that's absolutely so, a great point. And you know, they're, you hear that all the time about forgiveness and you, you really do hope that. And then and sitting here talking to you, obviously I want to say, oh yeah, they're right. But I mean, I'm not A in your shoes and B, you don't know who to forgive. Like you don't know who, who the murderer was. You don't know the motive was. You don't, there's nothing to know to be able to even take a step in that direction, unfortunately. Yeah, there's so much. If it was just one thing, you know, it, it would be different, but it's just, it's a ring of of, oh, I messed up and, oh, this should have been done differently. And that's, to me, that says a whole lot, you know, yes, you should have done something different. So what are you going to do? You know, how are you going to make this right? And how can you, you know, do something is my whole point. Kendra, have you guys thought about maybe like hiring a private investigator or trying to um, maybe ask the state police to do an investigation into this county? Because it sounds like, I mean, and again, they may honestly just have absolutely no evidence. That's a possibility. I don't want to discount that. But it it sounds like something else is going on here. And it sounds yeah. like you might need something more than, I mean, 31 years is a long time. And I feel like, too, if I did have a little bit more, you know, insight on what has been done, other than just saying, oh, we can't talk about it, or, oh, you know, this has been done, and then the next person saying, oh, no, that hasn't been done. If I could you know, piece some of that together, that would help. Um, I know my grandmother and I, like I said, she started digging into stuff, getting reports, getting autopsy, um, all kinds of stuff, which I have all that. Um, but I know her and I had talked about that at one point in time, doing the investigator stuff. And I think we were really just trying to figure out what to do at that point. And of course, that's when she became ill and then she passed away. So we hadn't, um, I don't even know where to start on stuff like that. So is, um, is the lodge and all that still there? I know that you said the owner has since passed more than likely, but is all of the <laughs> lodge still there? You know, I really don't know. That's a funny story because, um, you know, it's, it took me a while going up there because I still have family there, yes. And I, you know, want to go out and see it and I drive by and that's all great. Well, the one time, um, it was probably what? 15, 16, 17 years ago, I decided I was going to take my husband for the first time out there. Well, I wasn't thinking there was just a flood and we got stuck and had to have somebody pull us out. So that, that went sideways. So that's the last time I tried to go out there. I don't know at this point if it's still there. I think then it still was, but there have been so many floods in that area now that I don't know how that building would still be standing. So. All right. Uh, we're with our guest today, Kendra Graves-Rains. Her father, John Graves, was brutally murdered in or near Mound City, Missouri, on New Year's Day in 1990. Uh, Kendra, is there anything that you would like to say about your dad um, or about the situation right now um, that you haven't said already? No, I think I've pretty much covered it all. Like I said, I'm 
I just, I just wish that if somebody does know something, that they would say something. I mean, I know everybody says closure is a big thing and they need it. Um, it's just, it's hard going on every day, just knowing this and, um, it affects a lot in our lives. And, you know, my sister and I both struggle with it and it's, it's been very hard because that's our dad and we love him and miss him. So we just wish that, you know, any kind of, um, any kind of step in the right direction to help us get some kind of insight of uh, who this was or, you know, even why it was taken care of the way it was taken care of would be a big step. So anything at all would help us um, because we are trying to go on and it's, it's hard without extra stuff to help you along the way when you just feel like you're going backwards. So. And when telling of our listeners now, if you have any information about the murder of John Graves and you want to remain anonymous and you want to pass that information along to us, we will make sure that it gets into Kendra's hands and any uh, the proper authorities who need to vet these things. So if you know anything about this case at all, even if you think it is a mundane detail, and what I mean by that is I've covered many, many murder cases where people knew something very, very important, but it was a mundane detail to them. They thought they didn't really know anything, and so they kept it to themselves, and they come to find out years later that what they knew actually was the linchpin connecting a bunch of other pieces that actually led to... um, led to the person who committed the crime. So anybody listening to this, um, and we're going to stay on top of this. In fact, I've, I've got a friend that I may, when she gets some free time, I may have her uh, take a deep dive into this because I just, I don't think that this case should remain unsolved. It seems very solvable. I mean, it's not, um, you know, it's, it's not one of these cases where it was a whodunit. You guys found your dad within a couple of hours of this happening it's a small town. It's a small place. Yeah. I mean, how many possibilities are there? I mean, honestly. Mm-hmm. Well, Kendra, thank you very much for being our guest today. We very much appreciate your time. And I would just like to remind our audience that I'm George Jared. And I'm Andrew Brown. And this is Diamond State Murder Board. What's up, everyone? Andrew Brown here, and when I'm not co-hosting Diamond State Murder Board, I am a full-time photographer. I love being behind the camera capturing moments in time, from weddings to family shoots to landscape photography to just flat-out creativity. I enjoy photography. You can check my work out at Andrew Brown Photography on Facebook and Andrew Brown 182 on Instagram. Let's keep creating in this world. Diamond State Murder Board, written and hosted by George Jared, co-hosted and produced by Andrew Brown, music by Rush Pate, voiceover work done by me, Jessica Parker. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Diamond State MB. Download us wherever you get your podcasts.